You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. So good to see you guys today. And uh, if you're a veteran among us, would you please stand? Also, active duty military, would you guys go? I know you don't want to, but go ahead and stand up. Let us thank you. Thank God for you guys. Thank you enough. And uh, if you guys wouldn't mind to remain standing as I pray real quick over you. Um, Lord, we go before you and we thank you for those heroes that many of whom have been on long deployments away from family, have seen things they didn't want to have to see, and served in ways that are difficult so that they could serve and protect us. And we can't thank you enough for them. And we pray that you bless them today. And today as we look into your holy word to learn of you, to grow from you, and to experience you, uh, we ask you to help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you guys take a seat? Yeah, good times. So we have in recent days been in a series called Hero Maker. We uh, have based much of it from a book written by Dave Ferguson called Hero Makers, and we've been looking at these five practices that people who want to make heroes do. Uh, So what we've seen in the series is it's not just about becoming the hero, but it's about making someone else into a hero for uh, the kingdom of God to serve humanity. And week one, we looked at what's called multiplication thinking. Uh, Would you say that with me, multiplication thinking, when I point to you? You ready? Here we go. Multiplication thinking. And we looked at the dream napkin as a tool and where you write out on a napkin or a piece of paper um, your dream for making an impact in the world. I'll show you a couple of dream napkins. One is of uh, Cheryl Coleman, who has a dream to impact children in multiple different ways. And then the second dream napkin you'll see is Enoch Campos, who wants to impact and help and serve parents of disabled kids because that's been a part of her story. Uh, But then as we fast forwarded to week number two in the series, we looked at um, permission giving. And when we're permission giving, we're looking into someone else and saying, I see in you someone who can make an impact in this particular way. And so a lot of us have been text messaging, posting uh, pictures and messages to people that we believe can make an impact in the world. But today we're going to look at disciple multiplying, and we're going to look at some of the steps of apprenticeship and how to actually apprentice other people, but this disciple multiplying requires this shift in thinking where you don't think about just how you can share information in order to gather followers for yourself, but you think about how you can share information to help others become disciples of Jesus so that they can create more disciples, and it has this multiplication kind of effect. And what you got to understand today is that all of us at some level are disciples of someone somehow, some way. So you may be the disciple of a college professor or a religious leader or some intellectual or some ethnic background or some relative or an author or a holy book or a psychologist or an entertainer or a meme. But if you follow the uh, dominoes mentally backwards, you will find somewhere back in history who you are a disciple of. Now here at the church, we're trying to be disciples 
of Jesus Christ. And our mission here at City Church Downtown is uh, to um, help those who feel far from God. So that's why we're always conscious of those of you that are spiritual investigators trying to kind of find out if God is for real and legit. But we're hoping to help those who feel far from God become fully devoted followers of Jesus. See, and, and so what we're doing is we're trying to figure out how we can live out the vision of Jesus on the earth. And what we're going to see today is that disciple multipliers rub off on others in a rhythm um, as we're relational with Jesus. So disciple multipliers rub off on others in a rhythm that becomes uh, because we're relational with Jesus. And I'm going to spend the rest of our time together unpacking those three concepts. Now, first, we rub off on others. That comes from John uh, chapter 3, verse 22. You can open up your phone app Bible or you can just follow along on the screen. Um, But then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem. They went into the Judean countryside. And look at this next part. Jesus spent time with them there, baptizing people. Now, the spend time with them there is this Greek word uh, diatribo, which means to rub off on or rub against, literally. So would you do me a favor to kind of burn this into your memory banks? Would you take your shoulder and just rub against someone's shoulder next to you real quick? (laughs) The introverts are like hating life right now. And all the rest of you are like, what a good time. Shoulder rubs at church, man. Give me a massage, you know, while you're at it. I've got a knot. Uh, uh, but we, we literally spend time with each other to build each other. And disciples, when you spend time with people, it's like you rub off on them and they become like you and you become like them. And over the years, I've been trying to do this. And one guy that I spent a fair amount of time with throughout my life has been uh, Pastor Humby. You know, I'm older than Pastor Humby, and I brought this picture of Humby uh, today, and I sent him this uh, ICNU text message. That was uh, Humby's wedding, by the way. Um, Lauren was in my youth group when I used to be a youth pastor back in the day, and so I don't know why. I just prayed really hard that God would bring a great guy into her life, and I'm still praying, but um, <laughs> it was Humby. But, the, but as I sent Humby a text message last week, and it's like, I see in you a great pastor and shepherd of the people, because I believe that about Humby Sebeda. I, I believe there's greatness inside of him, and I love Humby's messages. Let me imitate Humby's messages just for a minute. He's like, oh, guys, we just got to develop, deliver, deploy. You know, he talks with his hands, you know, this is, this is Humby. But I see in him this greatness of, uh, and has got this great heart for people. Now, another one on our team that I'm trying to spend some time with is Robbie, our youth pastor, right? When you, when you watch Robbie communicate with our students at City Youth, he's doing a fabulous job. That hang on is every word. And I sent him a message this week, like, Robbie, I see a great communicator of the gospel in you, friend. And so what I do with this, I meet with them every Thursday for what we call the sermon meeting. So every little talk that I give to you, you know, I bounce it off the team first and they make sure I don't say stupid offensive things as much as is possible. You, you have no idea how many things they save you from uh, in that meeting. But also, I'm trying to prepare them and teach them to be able to preach messages uh, as well. In order to do that, we, we walk through what's called the five steps of apprenticeship. The first step is this. I do, you watch, we talk about it, right? So uh, I'll give the little talk to them. Um, they'll watch me do it. 
and then we'll talk about it. What worked, what didn't work, how can we improve it? But look at number two. Um, I do, you help we talk. So um, I'll do it. They'll help me with it. They'll help me develop some content. They'll give me a story or something like that. And then we'll talk about how it, wor- how it worked and how it went. And then number three, you do, this is a change, you do it, I'll help you, and then we'll talk about it. So I may help them with some content or uh, development of their sermons, and then they'll give the sermon, and then we'll talk about how it went. And then number four, you do, I kick back and watch, and then we'll talk about it, right? That's the one I like, where they can get up here, give sermons, I get to criticize their sermons, and then we'll talk about it uh, afterwards like that. But look, number five is the difference maker here. Now, a lot of you in the military and education in corporate America, you've seen four steps of apprenticeship most of the time. But the fifth one is what makes the difference between heroes and hero makers, and that is you do and you get someone else to watch. See, see what I mean there? So that's why uh, I'm going to show you this next picture of Alyssa Ramos, who recently gave her first sermon at City Youth. See, because Robbie's been through... Uh, the training and is continuing to go through it. And, and now he's passing that knowledge on to Alyssa, who gave her first sermon recent days at City Youth. Now, look, what I've, what I've come to learn is, though, is that when I'm supposed to be the older one who's supposed to be wiser and know everything, but um, what I've learned is, is that I'm learning a lot in the midst of trying to mentor and build into others. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one Uh, person sharpens another. And so everybody benefits when we try and make others into uh, heroes. Now, what happens over time is that disciples will influence four generations. And I got this from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul says, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach Others, You see the generations there, the four generations of it. First, you see Paul uh, passing this information on to Timothy. And then Timothy is supposed to pass it on to reliable people who can then pass it on to other people so you can see the four generations of it. Now, here's an example of this family tree in my life. Uh, Many years ago when I was in college, uh, I started discipling and working with a young woman in college and helping her to follow Jesus as Lord and submit to the Lordship of Jesus in her life. And she was pretty hot, so I went ahead and married her. And that'd be my wife, Jeannie. Uh, so anyways, that's a picture of Jeannie at our wedding. And many years after that, Jeannie would become a recovery leader in our Peel the Onion process here at the church. And she was a Peel the Onion sponsor to Margot. And so there you see Margot in the chain. Now, what you understand about Margot, she's back there at the desk. Would you just kind of wave at us, Margot? Are you back there somewhere? Okay, there she is. Okay, she's busy right now, but I can just assure you that these services are not happening on Sunday without Margot. I mean, Margot has got her hands in a million different things around the church. Right on. Get up for Margot. Uh, we appreciate today the veterans and Margot Garza because uh, without her, 
the spiritual battle would not take place here at the church. And Margot has mentored and built into a myriad of young people. And she's also been a sponsor for Peel the Onion. She was the sponsor to a woman in our church named Tekoa. And we've, uh, we've told you Tekoa's story before. In fact, you can see in the picture on screen, Tekoa holding up her coin for two years of sobriety, celebrating that. That's good news. See what I mean? And so, uh, yeah, give it up for that. So you can see four generations happening there. That's what uh, disciple multiplying is in, intended to be because disciple multipliers rub off on others in a rhythm because we're relational with Jesus. Now, let's look at the rhythm part of the equation. The, all of life is in rhythm or designed to be in rhythm. So, for example, your work life is supposed to be in rhythm, right? Have you ever known someone that they would just work all the time and they're always uptight? Uh, they don't enjoy life at all. It's like their soul is shriveling up because they just work all the time. Um, and then you got to build in rest, don't you? you got to build in days off. Have you ever known someone who takes too many days off and all they do is rest, right? Uh, they're that lazy person that plays video games all the time, wears, you know, stretchy pants, uh, eats too many Cheetos, uh, sitting around, doesn't get anything. No, we, we got to have a balance there, don't we? And so Jesus designed us to work and then to have Sabbath uh, so that we, we have some work-life balance there, assuming that you've worked the other five or six days out of the week, and then you, in the rhythm of life, uh, take a day off in order to Sabbath. And rest also has, uh, uh, is involved in music. So great musicians know when to rest. They don't play the note all the time, but there's what's called a rest between the drum beat or the strum of the guitar. And that's what makes good music because when the rest is there and when we disciple other people, uh, we have to spend the appropriate amounts of time with them. We have to uh, rub off on them from spending time together. But Jesus understood. He spent a lot of time with his young disciples, but he also had to get away from them, didn't he? Um, it's like if you read through the New Testament, you would see Jesus had to get away from his disciples and all the people, and he would go up into the mountain. And it's like his disciples were kind of yahoos if you read the Bible. They're kind of wingnuts in a lot of ways. And so that's why sometimes Jesus would just walk out on the water because it's like they can't follow me out here. Uh, you know, if they try and follow me, I'll just make them sink and they'll get eaten by a fish or something like that. So uh, he had to do uh, some radical things to get away from people at the same time. But there was a rhythm of it, right? And we see the rhythm of getting together and meeting together in Hebrews. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 25. It says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as uh, some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So it's talking about meeting together. Now that passage is not saying that if you don't meet together, if you don't come to church every Sunday, that you're going to go to hell or something weird like that. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people find it a good rhythm to go to church Every Sunday, uh, I, I know some of you uh, decide to get in the rhythm once a quarter or whatever. I think you'd be better off if you would come regularly to these services on Sunday. It helps nourish your soul, but you get her into a rhythm. But you can't come to church all week, can you? I mean, you have to go to work and you have to live your life and be with your family and serve people out in the community and uh, be with your, your friendships and relationships. And so there's a rhythm to it isn't it? We come together once a week to gather and study the word and sing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, also in our tribes, there's a rhythm to it. A lot of people will, will be a part of their tribes 
once a week. They'll come for an hour, a couple of hours every week and engage in relationship and spiritual growth. Our tribes, in case you're new here, is kind of like our version of small groups, classes, and uh, get-togethers like that. Uh, When I get together with people that I'm mentoring, it's typically once a month, and then we text message and we call each other um, during the rest of the month. Um, But here's the deal is that some of you are not in a rhythm of getting with other people to mentor. And you think, one of these days I'll do that. No, you won't. One of these days is none of these days unless you pick a day. Can I repeat that so we get it exactly correct? One of these days is none of these days unless you pick a day to do it. So set it on your calendar. We all have phones and computers and all of that. You can set the day, the time, the place that you're going to meet with the people that you're mentoring. Uh, so it's a regular thing in order to build into and receive from. Because disciple multipliers rub off on others in a rhythm because we're relational with Jesus. Now, the relational with Jesus part is the most important part. And that's why I'm going to spend the majority of our time together on this relational with Jesus part. Because what, what I've come to realize is that I'm not making disciples of Doug. I'm making disciples of Jesus is what I'm intending to do. And if I'm rubbing shoulders with people, spending time with people, um, and I've not already been in relational time with Jesus then I'm not passing on anything of value to them. When I've been with Jesus, it's like I can pass on something supernatural and spiritual to other people. But if I'm just passing on my own understanding or information or principles or concepts, they're lifeless without the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from abiding in and living with Jesus. Now, what some of you are thinking and you're asking is, you're saying, okay, Pastor Doug, you just said a mouthful. You just said you got to live with and abide in Jesus. How do you do that? How do you live with and abide in Jesus? Because I thought Jesus died on the cross, you know, was buried, rose again from the dead, ascended up into heaven. So what, how, how the heck do you do that now? Well, I'm going to talk about that for the next few minutes. Um, and I'm going to have to quote some other great apprentices of Jesus uh, over throughout history that I think can help us all think about this. And one of them is uh, St. Patrick. And the way he said abiding in Christ is he said, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Would you say that with me out loud as we meditate on Christ together? Here we go. Ready? Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Good. It felt pretty good, didn't it? And you know, another great saint said it this way. His name is Brother Lawrence. He called it the practice of the presence of God. He was constantly reminding himself that God is present with me. It's it's this uh, practicing the presence. And then uh, the great A.W. Tozer called it constant conscious communion. He was constantly trying to be conscious of a communion with Christ and with Jesus being near. Now, there's this book called uh, Letters of a Modern Mystic. It's by uh, Frank Laubach. 
He was a missionary to Muslims who could not read in the Philippine Islands chain, and he's the only missionary to ever be on a U.S. postage stamp uh, for his work in linguistics and literacy. And most social ad, uh, social justice advocates know about Laubach uh, mostly because of his work in linguistics and uh, literacy, um, but his goal was not the literacy of millions of people. That was a byproduct of another goal. His primary goal was this, to live every single minute of every single day with Jesus. Did you catch that? He's trying to live every single minute of every single day with Jesus. Once a minute, he was trying to bring God to his mind, to his consciousness. And so uh, abiding in Christ is like training your brain to be conscious of Jesus with you, in you, all around you. So scientists call it neuroplasticity. The apostle Paul called it being transformed by the renewing of your mind in uh, Romans chapter 12. That is what it is to abide in, live in Jesus. You follow me? And so as I was abiding recently, in Christ, being conscious of Christ myself, the thought came to my mind, what is the first thing you do in the morning? So how about you? What's, your, what's the first thing you do once you wake up in the morning? And for me, you know what it is? I'm, I'm laying there and I'm like coming to consciousness, you know, and I reach for my phone. And I grab my phone and I get worked up by the news apps and then I'll look at the weather, um, and then I might check something else, maybe an email or whatever like that. But the thought occurred to me is that maybe rather than doing all that before I get to my Bible reading, maybe I grab my phone and just tap on that Bible app and fill my mind with the things of God and start to abide in Him first thing, see? That way, if I get my mind right, I won't get worked up by election results when I check the news or uh, something like that. But my mind will be abiding in him and I'll be more good to those around me. Um, so we're to abide when we're interacting with our families, aren't we? How much wiser would we be in dealing with our spouses and our kids and other people in our family, our brothers, our sisters, if we were abiding in Christ? We're to abide in Christ when we're interacting with work associates or neighbors. We're, uh, uh, when we relationally abide in him, um, it's like we reflect him to others around us that we're talking with. John Mark Comer, who's a pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, says that one of the greatest barriers to us abiding in Christ is our constant thinking about the future. And he says that the way we think about our lives is kind of like that whack-a-mole game. You ever seen whack-a-mole game where it's like you're trying to whack the next thing? And here's what we think. We think, I'll finally be at peace with my life when I whack the next mole, when I get to the next thing. And so some of you who are single, you think to yourself, you know, when I finally whack the marriage mole and I find the right person, then, then I'll be at peace in my life and, and everything will be good. And what, what happens is you whack that mole and then you realize, oh no, I have to get along with this person. I have to learn how to be married. And then you whack that mole and then some of you think, well, I will be at peace in life when I have children. 
<laughs> Not a good idea. That doesn't work at all. So it says, like, you whack that mole, and then you have the children, and then you have to deal with them. And so then you whack the next mole, and you learn to deal with your kids just a little bit, you know, and then you think to yourself, well, um, next, uh, when I get to that next income level, when I get that next job, some of you are thinking right now, when I graduate, then I'll be at peace with life. You see what I'm talking about here? We just keep whacking these things, and Jesus says no. It's not then. It's right now. Let's be present here and now and abide in him. Slow down right now. Back in the 90s, some of you remember a little tool that people had to abide in Christ, and it was the WWJD bracelets. How many of you remember those things? Remember those? Okay, some people still have those. And it's basically... What would, in my household, it's what would Jeannie do, but, if she's, but a lot of it is what would Jesus do? We wanted to remind ourselves, and that's actually a good question. It's not a great question. It's a good question. What would Jesus do? And I'll tell you why it's not a great question, because sometimes it's hard to figure out what Jesus would do, isn't it? Because we live in 2018, and so think of yourself right now, those of you that are moms, um, first of all, Jesus didn't have children. He didn't, he didn't ever operate as a mom. And so you're a mom and you're trying to decide what kind of diapers to use, you know. Do I use the cloth diapers or do I use the, the newfangled diapers that suck all the bodily fluids out of every kid anywhere within five <laughs> feet, right, and fill up the landfill and all that. So you have to make decisions. If you're, if you're a programmer, it's hard to know what Jesus would do. How would Jesus, like, write the code for the app that you're trying to create? Or if you're a, an architect and you're trying to draw up the plans and you're thinking, I, I don't know that they had CAD during Jesus' day, right? And so um, we, we have to ask a different question. What would Jesus do if he were me right now? What would Jesus do if he were me right now, because as you read throughout the scriptures, God's not trying to make you Jesus. That has already been done, and you wouldn't be good at it anyway. He is Lord of all. That is a big job, but what we're to do is we're, we're to reflect Jesus through the unique being, the unique child of God that God has made you and I into, you see? So you're a very unique person. You are not a first century traveling rabbi who's single. Um, you may be single, but you're not a traveling Jewish rabbi uh, who's perfect in every way, okay? So um, you have to ask the question, how would Jesus live and operate through me and my Myers-Briggsness, you know, my, my Myers-Briggs personality? Or how would Jesus work through me if he had my strength finder strengths or whatever test you're into, you know, Enneagram numbers or whatever it is now, how would Jesus operate through me? How would Jesus live if he had your education level or your income level or lived in your city or uh, worked in your particular office? So abiding means submitting to him and thinking on him while you're at work and submitting to him your sex life and submitting to him your diet and your thinking about social justice issues and the like. See, now the passage that has helped me relationally abide in recent days is John 15. I've been thinking a lot through John 15. And so I want to lead you in a little exercise of meditation 
through John 16. Now, before we do the little exercise, I'm going to ask you a favor. Silence your cell phone. Some of you need to just turn it off because it'll buzz too loud and it'll annoy us all. Okay, some of you, uh, if you if you got kids with you today, that's okay. But if they start getting fussy, carry them out. You know, even they're, they're teenagers and they're big, pick them up. You know. But uh, will, will you promise me, can we all make an agreement together during this this meditation exercise? Can we try not to be a distraction at all in any way to anyone? Can we do that? Okay, good. So look at this first line from John 15. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Now let's take that passage and divide it up into three sections here. Section number one is abide in me and I in you. Section number two is as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Section three is so neither can you unless you abide in me. So what I'd like you to do is to silently, when I point to you, I want you to silently read each of those lines three times in your own heart and mind. And then I'm going to ask you which one resonated with you the most, connected with you the most. Ready? Go. So as you meditated on those three lines, how many of you connected most with that first line, abide in me, and I and you? Just raise your hands real quick. Good. How many of you connected most with the second line, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides? Good, good. How many of you connected the most with the third line there, so neither can you unless you abide in me? Get your hands up. Good, good. Let's look at another line from John 15. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's do the same thing with that passage. Let's break it up into three sections here. The first section being my Father is glorified. Number two, bear much fruit. Number three, prove to be my disciples. So repeat each line three times silently and think about which line resonates with you the most. Ready, go. So as you meditate on those parts of John 15, how many of you connected most with the first line, my father is glorified? Raise your hands. Good. How about line number two, bear much fruit? How many of you on that? Good. 
How many of you connected most with the third line, proof to be my disciples? Good, good. Let's look at the next part of John 15. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. We'll divide this passage into three sections as well, with the first line being, the Father has loved me. Line number two, I have also loved you. Line number three, abide in my love. We'll do the same exercise. You'll repeat each line three times silently and then see which one connects with you the most. Ready, go. It's a good one, isn't it? So how many of you resonated the most with the first line, the Father has loved me? Good. How about line number two? I have also loved you. Get those hands up. Good. How about line number three? Abide in my love. Man, that's good, isn't it? It's a good one. Now the, look at the last passage here. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. We're going to do this one just a little bit different. We're going to pray this three times, emphasizing different phrases throughout. So the first time you pray it, you'll emphasize these things. I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Then you'll read it the second time and Read these things I have spoken to you, and you'll emphasize, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. The third time, you'll read it like this, these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and then you'll emphasize, and that your joy may be made full. Does that make sense? Okay, let's go ahead and read through that and emphasize the underlined parts each time. Ready? Go. Boy, that's good, isn't it? So as some of you meditated on this passage, how many of you connected the most with the phrase, I have spoken to you? Just raise your hands real quick. Yeah, I've spoken to you. God's spoken to you today. How many of you connected the most with the phrase, so that my joy may be in you? Get those hands up. Good. How many of you connected the most with the last phrase there, and that your joy may be made full? Get those hands up. That's good, isn't it? It's good. And you know, 
as we relationally abide in Jesus like we just did, many of you are sensing his presence here, aren't you? Not from me telling a sad story or showing you an inspiring video, but from meditating on and abiding in him and his words to us. See? And even some of you who have not yet become believers, we would call you our spiritual investigators, you sense something around you, something near to you. And as I was abiding in preparation for this service, I saw a passage in my regular reading time that I think connects to a lot of you who are trying to figure out if God is even for real. And it comes from Acts chapter 17, it's verse 27, where the Bible says this purpose was for the nations to do what? Seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. But look at this next part, though he is not far from any one of us. And even though some of you have been trying to feel your way and it's like you've come to church and investigated or you have a Christ following friend that's giving you perhaps a glimpse of what God is like, you've been feeling your way and you've ever once in a while gotten a little glimpse. But you've got to know he's not far from any of you. He's not trying to hide. He wants to know you and have love relationship with you. And you know you're sensing his nearness now, so why not go ahead and take a step over that line and invite him into your life? You can do that by a simple prayer offered in faith, by simply believing that when Jesus died on the cross for your sin, uh, that, that that could be appropriated into your life. So let's bow before the Lord in prayer. And those of you that, that would like to begin a relationship with him right now in these moments today, I want you to just talk to him and in your own words, silently, just say something like this to him. Look, God, I know that there have been times where I've missed the mark and I've sinned. But right now I'm choosing to believe that you're near in that when Jesus died on that cross, he was taking the punishment for my sin. And the cross allows me to not only be forgiven, but to receive you into my life, God. So I'm saying, welcome, welcome home in me, in my life. And the rest of us that have already known him, we're praying things like this, God, we want to be a people that abide in you. We want our first conscious thought to be of you. We want to meditate on and know you more. We want to be a people who are not just disciples, but disciple multipliers who train others also to four generations. So we thank you for your presence among us today your kind and good and loving presence. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.